You're listening to Momentum, a show that helps men succeed in life. There is nothing more attractive to women than a man who is courageous and stands for the truth. He is who God called him to be. There is something that is extremely attractive to women. Now, here's your hosts, Tim and Dez. All right, well, welcome to this week's Momentum. So great to have you tuning in wherever you are around Australia. We are nationwide, thanks to all the stations that take us. Really appreciate that. And uh, so good to have you here too. And uh, without further ado, going to launch and say hi to my co-host, Des Kennedy. How are you, man? You good? Uh, I just love that we get to talk into people's lives and, and help them, one, be you know, stronger in their faith and two, live better lives. And and we're so blessed to have with us today, uh, Cindy McCarvey from Youth for Christ. It's a, a spring. Welcome, Cindy. Thank you, Dan. It's great to be here. So, Cindy, you are the National Director for Youth for Christ Australia. We we talked last year about your, your book, Lost Boys Bring Them Home. And uh, last week, we talked about your brand new book. It's called The Next Revolution. And the love in revolution is highlighted, which we'll get to later, but it's called Resisting the Cult of the Self. And uh, we, we kind of looked a little bit at last week's show about what that what that's starting to look like. The, the backstory of the book is the revolutions and the movements around the world over the, the decades that have kind of shaped society and kind of infiltrated the church. And we kind of left last week's chat on this idea of discipleship. And, you know, we talked about the fact that we couldn't really think of a church off the top of our head that was using the word discipleship, let alone making disciples. Uh, and that was a pretty scary thought. But Des, you wanted to bounce off the back of that as we launch into this week's show. Yeah, look, it's, uh, we've talked, we talked last week about, you know, man-centered and Christ-centered sermons. And, and leading on from that, Cindy, I'd love to get your thoughts around if, if a church was discipleship-focused, what would that look like? Yeah, I, I think um, people would be making disciples as well. Mm. So not just discipling, but making disciples. So I think it would be flourishing in that sense, helping people to grow. And actually, I said I I couldn't think of anyone, you know, using the word disciple. And that's true. But I do know a number of churches as I've traveled around Australia who really are focusing on that. And I find that the ones who focus on that are actually going out and making disciples, going out and sharing their faith. So they're growing. So I think it would be a growing church as well. So it's evangelism and discipleship. So it's leading people to Christ. And then the next step is helping them grow in their faith to to disciple other people. Yes. Being discipled and discipling others. So, Cindy, let me put you on the spot, and this is a little curly, so I, I, I preface the question by saying this, but what, what do you think is the difference between a follower of Christ and a disciple? Is there a difference? I think uh, what first comes to mind is the analogy of a footy game. Either you're watching from the sidelines and cheering or you're actually on the field playing. Wow, that's a good analogy. Interesting. I would see the disciple on the field playing and, you know, that just means you're exposing yourself and you're getting um, knocked about a bit, but also you, you, you have the opportunity to score goals and so on. So it's either you're in the game or you're watching the game. That's a good analogy. I like that. One of the things amazing about the church, Cindy, and, you know, I, I guess this is where we're leading to, is 
you said about the fact that it's about man-centered sermons and so forth. And and you look at a lot of the churches in Australia uh, today, and and their focus is making us a better version of ourselves. And so you know, being a Christian is seen to be part of that. Do you want to comment on that? Let me phrase the question in a different way because I, th- I, I, it actually kind of ties in nicely, Des, with with an, another part, which is a Thaddeus Williams quote that you wrote in the book. Um, and he said, self-worship is the world's fastest growing religion. And some of the statistics that came off the back of that, and this is American statistics, but we'll go with that for now. 84% of Americans believe that enjoying yourself is the highest goal in life. 86% believe uh, to enjoy yourself, you must pursue the things that you desire the most. And 91% affirm the statement to find yourself, look within yourself. So 84%, 86%, and 91%. So really high percentages, which means then that obviously within those high percentages, there's going to be a good percentage of that percentage that are Christians that hold to that viewpoint that enjoying yourself is the highest goal in life. To enjoy yourself, you must pursue the things that you desire the most. They affirm the statement that to find yourself, you look within yourself. So a lot of that is me-centered, self-centered, which would go in with what Thaddeus is saying about self-worship is the the world's fastest growing religion. I suppose then when you look at the impact of that mindset, even though we're Christians, we're bringing that into the church. And therefore, what do you think would be the impact of that in the church at large? Yeah, that is so good. Uh, I think we're not all on God's mission. We end up being all on our own mission. And we're we're not united in mission. And so we know that a house that's not united uh, can't stand. So I, I think that that through that we're not united. We're not all focused on the one mission, which is Christ's mission, you know, to go and make disciples. I, I think we've been very much impacted by materialism and, uh, you know, our aspirations in life. If you break it down to all the units, the family units, um, you know, the mum and dad just want to earn enough money to live comfortably, you know, send their kids to school and all that sort of thing. And then one day retire and do the retiree thing. And so when we get into materialism and, and you know, the church is a good place, you know, we've got friends and it's, uh, it's, it's a good place for your children. It's a safe place generally for your children, all of those mm. sort of things. Mm. So we prioritize our physical materialism or materialistic world rather than prioritizing our spiritual and emotional world. And that is um, that is so important uh, to training children, to training new disciples. You know, you're getting to the heart of it, your spiritual and emotional, not mm. your material stuff. And I think we've been uh, deceived by the spirit of this age to be like the world because um, you know, if we can make a lot of money and um, look pretty good, we think that that's what's going to attract uh, people to us. I'm just going to go back to the beginning of what you said, which actually really impacted me. That that really stuck with me. And the, the fact that we can have, say, 100 people in the church, and yet we're not all on the same mission. And you just think about that from a from a spiritual perspective. And the Bible talks about in Psalm 133, unity, right? Where there's unity, it commands a blessing. But if there's no unity, then we we don't get the full blessing. If there's some who are purely after the Christ 
centered walk and there's some which are just, yeah, well, I'm here, I'm ticking boxes and I'm showing up and I'm looking like a good Christian, but really my heart's not in it. I'm a, I'm on the sidelines, right? I'm watching the game. I'm not really in the game. Then we're not all unified in that building, even though on the surface we may look like we are. And I just think that's so profound. That's so powerful. Mm. And that's all always influenced by the teaching that church is getting as well. I mean, if they're getting fed, as you said, Cindy, earlier, if they're getting fed motivational speeches and motivational service uh, sermons, you know, they won't grow, you know, in, in, a, in a God way. You know, they won't be like Christ. You know, so it's a, it's a different mindset, isn't it? Yes, it is. I'm going to come back and, and ask what you think we can do to resist that as a church. But before I do, I want to I want to jump here for a tick because generally those born between 95 and 2015, all right, they they have been subjected to what is referred to as the the digital revolution, right? I mean, these these are people who were born during these dates. They will never remember a time prior to technology. Like you and I all in this call can remember, you know, LPs and cassettes and the joys that having those things <laughs> used to bring into our lives <laughs> before Spotify and such. But there's, there's now a generation, right, that, that don't remember anything before digital technology. Um, how do you think their world, right, and of course then you throw in social media, technology, all those things, and they're bringing that into the church too. How, how do you think that is affecting their lives when they try and – I suppose, come into the church, but they're in a different generation than we were. They've got all this other stuff that they're dealing with that we never had to face. Yeah, that that's such a good question because I think that the gap between generations is even more profound than it ever was. Mm. And it's getting wider because of that. You know, one of the things with the digital age is that our young people are, are now, um, you know, with research, they're one of the most lonely in society and they're up there with the over 75-year-olds. That's mm. actually an Australian statistic. Mm. So they love being with their peers, they love being on social media and all that sort of thing, but we see that their online connections are just not cutting it in real life, in mm. interpersonal relations. And it actually, they've got no shared history like, if you go to school and if you grow up with friends all around you, your parents know your friends, your friends know your friends, um, your grandparents may not even know your friends, your community knows your friends, but no one knows your friends on mm. social media. Mm. So there is a, you, no one knows the discussions that you're having and what you're sharing and the influences, you know, as children and all that sort of thing. So that there is a big disconnect. You're completely disconnected in that way. But also with digital media and things like that, there's there's problems like your attention span, um, things like undeveloped values that our young people have. They, um, I mean, I talked about being untethered, you know, untethered from their families, untethered from their immediate community and untethered from their physical world. Mm. So I, I think it has a really big impact. I love that word untethered. That's such a good word, isn't it? Because, you know, when you think about you're tethered to something, you're, you're, you're linked, you're connected. Um, and I, 
and again, I, you know, I mean, our kids are a little older and the irony is that they're more connected than ever, right? You use that statistic, ages 75 and over, biggest group of loneliness. And then it's the, then it's the youth. And you think, but how can that be? Because they're all so connected online, <laughs> right? And so they're tethered to some, some degree online, but there's no tethering in the natural. No, that's right. And, and that stat is, uh, one in eight young people aged 16 to 25 experience very high intensity loneliness. 16 to 25. That's yeah. an indication that our youth are not flourishing. And that, that reflects in church too, because, you know, if you don't have those society links, you know, generally in society, you're not going to have them in church either, unless you're deliberate about doing that. Mm. Yeah, and they don't have mentors. I I heard someone say, if you're looking for uh, sympathy or empathy, you know, you can talk to one of your mates, one of your friends. But if you're looking for guidance and coaching and direction, you need a mentor. You need someone older. And so young people are getting all the information from other young people. And that has greatly restricted their knowledge uh yeah, and their growth. Right. Which which makes sense then when you think about the role that Jordan Peterson is having in so many young people's lives. Uh, and I would argue a lot of that, of course, is through social media. I mean, he's really jumped up and become a name for a lot of young kids. And he talks about some of the comments that he gets from people when they approach him in the street. Um, because obviously, if they don't have the family unit, they don't have mom or dad around or whatever, or you know, they're not attached to a church in a good way, and they don't have older people speaking into their life it's like well some people have gone online and found people like jordan peterson which is awesome um but we're gonna pause and i want to come back off the back of that and bounce off that and you say that a lot of people are putting uh, young people putting their hope in artificial intelligence and i thought that was a really interesting quote so let's come back and explore that on the other side of this break we are with cindy mcgarvey it's always a deep thought-provoking conversation we're talking about her book the next revolution resisting the cult of the self we're going to take a short break encourage you to have a look around the website momentumaustralia.org and we'll be back with cindy in just the tea this is momentum a show that helps men succeed in life find out more at momentumaustralia.org okay welcome back to momentum it is part two of our second show with cindy mcgarvey the national director for youth for christ australia and we're exploring cindy's uh second book the next revolution resisting the cult of the self and uh we've expanded on that over the last couple of weeks a couple of quick things we want to jump into and then we're going to get to the the positives about all of what we've been leading up to but uh, cindy we started uh just before the break we ended rather i should say with um this idea of a lot of young people putting their hope in artificial intelligence to implement justice and equality. And I thought that was really, really interesting. Can you unpack that for us and explain what you mean by that? When I was researching that, that really had an impact on me. So I wrote about that in the chapter called Why Young People Hate Capitalism. In mm. fact, my son told me, he said, Mom, you need to to write about this. And I thought, oh, I, I didn't sort of really fully get it until I started researching it because um, many young people see that capitalism uh, is causing gross inequities in the world. And the only way they see as fixing it um, is to adopt socialism, which of course they get through that whole uh, mainstream education system and going to university and all that sort of thing. They, they're devoid of the history of socialism and communism and Marxist ideology. Mm. 
So this sounds like a very attractive idea to them. Um, so the idea that the government owns everything and then just divvies, divvies everything out fairly to all the citizens. Um, and now that we have advanced technology, like, you know, our banking is online, even our healthcare can be online, and so much more is online, particularly we saw during the last few years during COVID, you know, checking in and checking out and, you know, we can buy and sell online. Everything can be done online. Um, this, uh, the government can have more control over inequity. And so uh, the government is the one that fixes what is equal and what is not equal and all that sort of thing. So they don't really get that um, there is a mind deciding what is right and wrong behind these technologies. Mm. So through this social system, and we're seeing in China, you know, the social credit point system, which, um, you know, gives you more freedom if you're doing the right thing by the government. Um, you know, so basically young people see that if technology can control things much more, well, technology isn't corrupt like man. And so everything can be uh, delegated fairly to, mm. to people and everyone will be looked after and there'll be no poverty. When you break that down, that's that's huge. And that's also a pretty scary thought, right? Yeah, it is a really scary thought. There are right aspirations mm. in the sense of let's help the poor. Let's improve things for everybody. Let's make sure that everyone gets health care. Let's make sure that um, people are not dying from the basic diseases, all of those sort of things. Uh, you know, these are good aspirations, but when you think about them and take them to their logical end, it, it basically means that a small group of people are going to control the rest. And so the question is then, where does the church fit into that? And what value does the church bring since the government is making all the decisions? So the church becomes more irrelevant because it's not seen as differentiating itself from the world. Yeah, correct. And I, you know, I, I don't know. I think we need to be looking to the, ch the church in Asia, in China, you know, what, what they're doing, they live with this. You know, if, if someone is even not a Christian and they're with their Christian relative, they can lose credit points. So we don't know where this is going to go. We, we think uh, that it won't happen to us, but I don't know. Tie that in with then the persecuted church in inverted commas, right? Because, I mean, let's be honest, for, for centuries, predominantly people overseas have been persecuted for their faith. I mean, we in the Western society and culture, we've we've had it fairly easy in the fact that we've, you know, we've grown up in a society that's um, obviously been founded on Christian principles, so therefore we've accepted that. But there's many people around the world who have been persecuted for their faith. It seems to me, and you can let me know what you think, Cindy, that, um, you know, we're, we're in an age now where we, we, the church at large, are starting to find that, it is a slight persecution, if you want to use the term persecution, that we are starting to encounter now in our own society on our own doorstep. Yeah, I, I, I think so. And I think that as as we look to the pers the church and the persecuted nations, they are underground churches. They're, they're churches that 
don't meet in um, big buildings in the corner with all the um, the big car park and the the obvious signs and all that sort of thing. I mm. I wonder that um, we might need to be heading down that track. And you know, there were the approved churches in China. You know, the Four Square Church, and there are approved churches by the government. Um, and we know that those churches um, can't fully teach truth. No, I think I think you're right. I think that you know there there is coming a day when our values uh, won't be respected, and you know, and society will try to control what the church does, even in the Western society. So it leads to the question, Cindy: what 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 can we do? What is what is the way out of this? situation that we've just talked about yeah i think everything we spoke about we have to strengthen ourselves we have to get back to discipleship we have to get back to the word of god we have to get back to holiness um we have to fear god more than we fear man uh and and i think this is the exciting thing um as i look there's a trend of so many young people especially young men who are going back to where did we come from? Why why um, why is the world just going off on in ways where it doesn't make sense uh, in so many different areas? Uh, and I'm rela- I'm talking about the the woke ideology. So mm. they they're trying to trace their steps back to where society went off track and. And back to traditional values. So there is this move of particularly young men and women are following. Women always follow the men back to um, even Orthodox churches or churches that are not changing with the ideology. That means they're not accepting this selfism or this uh, the ideology that we find our truth from within, the man-centered teaching that you know we're on our mission and god comes and helps us with our mission all of those things they are looking back to find a a church that teaches those traditional values about marriage about motherhood about fatherhood Mm. about family being really really strong all of those things and that is really exciting they are craving for that cindy that's the that's the bigger picture of the church at large, right? Let's let's speak one-on-one right now, and particularly for guys listening. Uh, as, you know, we've talked about, and you're big on this too, and we'll we'll come back and talk about this in, in another chat, but, um, you know, the, the man being not just the head of the home physically, but spiritually as well. Um, so let, let, let's talk to the guys individually and go, okay, what, what then can I do personally? Because the truth is, right, even if you've got a church of 100 people, right, um, and you say, hey, we want to find exactly what you just talked about. We want to find a church that holds to these traditional values, that that thinks like this, that's resisting selfism and all of those sorts of things. I mean, that's a bigger picture. Within that 100 people, there'll be 30 people that go, yeah, we're right on board with that. And there'll be a handful that go, yeah, I, it's too hard. I'm just, I'm comfortable here, whatever. So obviously the, the onus for each of us is to take responsibility in our walk and how we live our lives and how we think and what we ingest and what we're watching and what we're thinking and how we're speaking and et cetera. So in speaking to that space for the guys or the people listening right now and go, what can we do on a day-to-day basis to perhaps realign, 
to shift perhaps where we may have started getting into selfism and some of these things that we can go, actually, you know what? I can see that in myself now. How do I bring that myself back? Not just the church at large, but for me personally, in my own individual walk with the Lord, how do I bring those things back to a Christ-centered walk instead of a me-self-centered walk? Yeah, that's a good question. I think, first of all, you can't go after the truth if you don't know the truth. So we have to get back to the Word of God. And that is getting into the Word of God, the washing of the Word, understanding the Word. I think understanding the Word and getting into the Word of God will help us with our identity. It will help us with our um, what is a father, what is a mother, what is a marriage, all of those sort of things. It will help us realign to God's mission, not our own mission. The other thing I think for men, and this is one thing, it's just on the top of my mind because I was discussing it with someone recently, is courage. Mm. Uh, once you are, once you know God's word and you know the truth and you become confident in the truth, you actually become courageous. It may not even look to you like you're being courageous. But you know that you know that you're stepping out in the tr- truth or you're speaking the truth or you're living the truth. And there is nothing more attractive to women than a man who is courageous and stands for the truth. And, um, yeah, I was discussing it with a friend and they all, you know, the women all say, yeah, when a man stands up for the truth and when a man is courageous he is who God called him to be. Um, there, there is something that is extremely attractive to women. Well, just quote that. We'll put that on the website for the guys <laughs> listening, <laughs> the singles and the marrieds. Well, Get I'm courageous, guys. I like that about my husband as well. <laughs> yeah. no, that's, that's actually great. That's great advice. And you know, as momentum, we would absolutely support that at view of the world. Cindy, one final thought. We've, we've spoken to the guys. C- can I ask you perhaps to, to then put your cap on as if you're ch- uh, speaking to church leaders, right? And again, this takes a huge degree of humility to admit that we may have started walking down this path and my gosh, I can start seeing this. Um, and, you know, that is a, a huge uh, thing to admit and then go, how on earth do I start steering this ship around? Because we've been in motion, there's a huge ship, and we've been in motion for many years now in this path. But speak to speak to church leaders for a moment about what you think they could do if they if they can acknowledge and see that this has started creeping into their church. How did they start shifting this around? Yeah, I know they have a very very tough job, pastors and church leaders, and their heart is in the right place, and. I think probably the discipleship thing and, you know, there's many people in the church who are still little babes who have been in the church for many, many years, uh, who are adults, maybe even in their senior years, who are babes in Christ. Mm. So I think uh, having a discipleship mindset, you know, that's our command, make disciples. It took Jesus, you know, he spent three years living with um, his disciples. It took a, a long time. And so I think 
there's a lot of uh, books and good resources and things like that. Disciples, when you're a true disciple, you want to be making disciples as well. Mm. And I know that some people are really gifted in evangelism, but there are some who are really gifted in discipling and walking alongside people. Yeah, a flourishing church isn't necessarily a lot of people. A flourishing church is a growing church in the sense that they're making disciples. Mm. Not It doesn't mean that it's growing exponentially or anything like that, but people are growing and they're growing in holiness and they're growing in strength and truth and in Christ likeness. So, yeah, I think I would say that, but there's so many really, really good books out there. You guys would probably have some really good advice as well. My advice initially is re-listen to the last two shows and get Cindy's book because there is a lot. I mean, honestly, you, you, there's there's been some gold nuggets that you've just thrown down. Some of them we've picked up on and some of them they've just kind of flung through to the keeper. But you, you've, you've thrown some gold nuggets of stuff out there over the last couple of weeks, Cindy, um, as we've been talking. So I would encourage guys predominantly re-listen to this podcast first and foremost. And then get get a copy of Cindy's book. It's called The Next Revolution, Resisting the Cult of Self. And our special guest has been Cindy McGarvey. She's the National Director for Youth for Christ Australia. Always a deep, thought-provoking, provocative in general chat with you, Cindy. And uh, we love your heart. We love the fact that you're just fearless. Talk about being courageous. You're fearless in this space. And we really appreciate you being a part of Momentum in the last few weeks. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. You've been listening to Momentum a show that helps men succeed in life. For more information or to hear this week's show again, go to MomentumAustralia.org. You can also access a whole range of resources to help you on your journey and to get in touch with the team at MomentumAustralia.org. Until next time, keep moving forward with Momentum.